Countries aren't going to be able to make their goals if cities don't. Cities aren't going to be able to make their goals if buildings don't. And buildings aren't going to be able to meet their goals unless they take this holistic, integrated approach towards both designing new buildings and retrofitting existing buildings. You're listening to Shaping Sustainable Places, a new Skanska podcast. We're here to recognize, encourage, and inspire stakeholders in the industry and beyond to accelerate the transition to a more sustainable, resilient, zero-carbon built environment. In each episode, we'll be speaking with industry and civic leaders, policymakers, and other champions of change to explore innovative solutions to real challenges. Energy is one of the hottest questions as we consider ways to ensure a sustainable future. While Europe deals with an energy crisis, the world as a whole needs to shift to fossil-free energy sources in the long term to reduce carbon emissions. A clean energy transition is well underway in many countries, with electrification lowering carbon emissions in transport systems as well as construction and development projects. Yet major challenges remain. So how can the built environment play a positive role? What is being done to reduce energy requirements both during construction and development, as well as during the lifetime of a building? How can energy-positive buildings contribute to reducing a city's emissions? And how can we plan towns and cities better and adapt building regulations to reduce energy needs? Today, our host Charlie Cicchetti sits down with three industry leaders to examine the energy challenges their organizations are taking on, as well as opportunities and solutions to move toward renewable energy sources. Charlie begins with Clay Nelson, founder and CEO of the Nelson Group. He helps organizations around the world identify and prioritize opportunities to leverage sustainable building design, clean energy resources, and operational best practices to improve sustainability and resilience while achieving ambitious environmental, social, and governance goals. So let's build on that background of yours, Clay. Let's look at that evolution of energy. On this episode of the Shaping Sustainable Places podcast, we're talking a lot about energy. How have you seen that evolve? A really big thing changed when we focused from energy to carbon. We know the goal is net zero carbon around 2050. The world needs to achieve that. If you work backwards from that goal, you come up with a different set of solutions or measures that you need to do in building. I refer to these as the four good deeds. The first good deed is decarbonization. We need to decarbonize the power grid because if we have fossil fuel generated electricity, we're never going to get to zero. So that is a meta change that has to happen. But buildings can contribute significantly forwards that goal as they contribute towards decarbonization. So we not only need to decarbonize the grid, we need to decarbonize transportation a huge sector, but the biggest sector we need to decarbonize is actually buildings. 40% of greenhouse gas emissions are due to buildings. In cities, buildings can represent up to 70% of greenhouse gas emissions. So we can't get there without buildings, transportation, and industry, by the way. And buildings and industry go together because Plants are within buildings, so there's some synergy there. There's also synergy with transportation in that where do you think we're going to charge all these cars? We're going to charge them with EV charging stations in buildings, and we're going to have to do that in a smart way. 
The E in for good deeds is efficiency. Efficiency isn't yesterday's solution. It's the most cost-effective and critical solution. We need to first get energy use down so we can take advantage of that increasingly clean grid. Now, the second E is electrification. We won't capture the full potential of a greener grid if we don't reduce fossil fuel combustion in the buildings. That's why there's a shift towards electrification for space heating, for water heating, for cooking, and other heating applications within buildings. It's pretty straightforward to build an all-electric, net-zero building today, given a large budget and given fairly favorable climate conditions. New construction isn't our biggest challenge. It's existing buildings. How do I go to a building which has gas or oil boilers in the basement and make the big transformation to improve efficiency and electrify while adding as much renewable energy as possible? That's why the fourth letter, the D in four good deeds, is digitalization. We have to do it in a smart way. By some estimates, if we could flip a switch, no pun intended, if we could flip a switch and convert every fossil fuel furnace in a home or boiler in a commercial building to electric, we do those four things together and we can not only rapidly decarbonize buildings, but we can do it in a way that won't cost as much as building lots more generation, lots more transmission, and lots more distribution. I think that we can achieve net zero carbon anywhere in the world, but the approaches are going to be localized. They're going to be a little bit different. And I love to talk about the contrast between different approaches towards zero carbon. One of my favorite buildings, a Skanska building, they were part of the design team, is the powerhouse Braderkaya in Trondheim, Norway. I like to say, well, if you could do net zero in Trondheim, Norway at 63 degrees north latitude, you should be able to electrify your building just about anywhere. One thing I love about the building is it's very smart. It only conditions spaces when there are actually people in it. It conditions those spaces to the conditions people actually want for comfort and lighting and things such as that. So it's a great example of an ecosystem where a anchor building can provide distributed energy, clean energy resources to the entire community. Countries aren't going to be able to make their goals if cities don't. Cities aren't going to be able to make their goals if buildings don't. And buildings aren't going to be able to meet their goals unless they take this holistic, integrated approach towards both designing new buildings and retrofitting existing buildings. A powerhouse is a building that generates more energy in its operational phase than it consumes throughout the production of building materials, construction, operation, and disposal of any waste. Solar energy, other sources of renewable energy, and an extremely low energy consumption ensure that it becomes an energy-positive building. The building itself is well-insulated and has limited need for heating and excellent ventilation. 
The Powerhouse Organization is a collaboration between five companies, one of which is Skanska, that are dedicated to designing and building construction that align with the 1.5 degree target set out in the Paris Agreement. To learn more, let's hear from our next guest, Runa Stenne, Managing Director at Powerhouse and a business developer with Skanska Norway. He shares the energy-efficient technologies as well as materials and innovations Powerhouse is using to create sustainable built environments. We've got these energy efficiency targets with our buildings, with our companies, and so big energy focus. But currently, we also have some carbon problems. And obviously, the two are tied together. So high level, can you educate us? How do you separate sometimes energy efficiency and overall carbon? How do you look at those two categories? As you said, they are very much tied together. And we focus on both. But our main target is carbon. So our definition, our concept is about being aligned with the Paris Agreement and the one half degree that came out of the Paris Agreement. And that's measured in carbon. And we translate the energy used in a building into carbon. And the materials are measured in carbon. Emission from the construction phase, dyes, electricity, so are measured in carbon. But we still work with energy in terms of the energy use of the building reducing the demand and the energy production on site, on the building. And to our listeners, we have our operating carbon, our energy efficiency. Are we setting us up to be an energy efficient building? And then we have the embodied carbon and these material selections, even our supply chain, even greening of the construction phases. So no, thanks for reminding us of that. Sounds like your team is focused on these carbon goals. Are there certain projects that you have access to that maybe you've worked on that when you start with the carbon conversation, how does that change things? Is it like, hey, no matter what, we're going to do this, so we got to figure it out? Or are we still working on incremental improvement? Well, let's do a little better than the last project, or let's do a little better than energy code. So how have your conversations changed on projects? I would say that before we start, we know where to go. We have a total carbon emission that we need to reach including the carbon and carbon from the energy use. So the project team knows from the beginning where to go, but they don't know how to get there. That's the task for the team. How do we design this building? How do we work with energy efficiency? And how do we produce enough energy to make this energy positive? And that's where it becomes innovating. So this both the process, but also the concept and the technologies we throw into the building needs to be considered both, of course, from a cost perspective, but also then every time it needs to be considered from a carbon perspective. So we have both, both a carbon account and a cost account. Can you give us some practical examples? What are you seeing on projects to achieve these goals that maybe during construction, during operations? Like what are some of the techniques that are really being used that are working right now? I would say in the Nordics, we are quite good in building with a low energy demand from the operation. But I would say we have a bigger opportunity when it comes to the carbon emission from the materials and which material, how much material, how we put things together. So we are now, of course, looking more into wooden structure, CLT, and CLT combined with low carbon concrete, but also how we ventilate and how we distribute the energy within the buildings. 
CLT stands for cross-laminated timber, a type of engineered wood panel. It boasts a low environmental impact and generates next to zero waste, and as such is used in sustainable building designs. Low carbon concrete is another more sustainable material. It is produced with a much lower carbon footprint than traditional concrete. The powerhouse companies often work with both. So let's see what else they are using in their energy efficient constructions. We use heat pumps in the energy supply of the buildings, which is a very energy efficient way to transport energy into the building and geothermal wells and so on. But it's important to separate powerhouse from being a process and being a total concept. Powerhouse is a target. It's up to the team to find the right solutions, the right materials, the right technologies, and so on that brings you to that target. You can use heat pumps, but you don't need to. You can use concrete, you can use wood, whatever. It's up to the team from the individual projects what suits this project the best. That's the task. Well, we're talking about materials for a minute because it does fit into carbon, right? Overall embodied carbon. There's waste problems. Construction projects are known for almost 19% rework and just waste. And so what are some things that maybe you enforce on some of your projects to help on that part of the carbon cycle? So we, we have a research project in Skanska Norway called Zero Construction Waste. And it's about estimating the climate effect of waste from construction sites. And we also add the that into the power, powerhouse carbon account. So it's also about minimizing the waste going into the powerhouse project. Then we need to work with the supply chain to reduce plastic, to reduce wood and so on that follows the materials into the project. First, if we have the waste on our site, it's about recycling, of course, but it's also is it some of the waste, or we like to call it resources, that can be reused. For instance, it's some of the steel, some of the wood, and so on, that can be reused for other needs. Why aren't more buildings doing this right now? Of course, it has something about cost. The idea about powerhouse isn't that it should be scaling in volume because it's pretty much light tower buildings we are putting up. But we won't like to see a bigger volume of close to powerhouse projects coming up, which is built with not the financial support we get from the government and building powerhouse because that's important to remember that when we're building these pilots, there are programs, financial programs in Norway that we can apply for money to showcase solutions, to showcase materials and so on. I think for the market, it's very important that we have this pilot project that they can look to, they can still be pride solutions and they can bring hope into the industry that it is possible, not for all projects to be powerhouse, but they can find suitable solutions for their project and build a little bit better than they started up with in the beginning. So let's talk a little bit about some high level like legislation. I'm in the United States. Here we have the Inflation Reduction Act that's pushing heat pumps, energy efficiency, shining a light on embodied carbon. Finally, in Europe, right, taxonomy and the European Green Deal. So is this just forcing normal buildings to do better? How are we doing with kind of the legislative front? I think that we have now, I would say, I know the Norwegian market best, of course, from our perspective. I would say that we have come to a point where the marginal cost for being better on energy efficiency is quite high compared to reducing carbon in materials. 
So that's the dilemma. Where should you put tax, Ramon? Where should you put the regulation? Is it on carbon reduction or is it on energy efficiency? And I would say for Norway and perhaps some part of Europe, it is more important now to start reducing carbon emission. For at least the Nordics, the energy efficiency is at, I would say, a decent level. When it comes to energy, renewable energy production on buildings, yeah, it's possible. In some cases, it's not, or say in another way, it's not right for every project to produce energy. When you look at some of these other regions, are there a few green best practices, though, that you do see scaling? While maybe not all projects immediately are going to be Paris-proof, which parts of this green building movement, though, do you see scaling in different regions? Where are we making better progress? I have been in touch with some part of Skanska in Central Europe, and I think we have some concepts and technologies that we could easily scale with them, technology that is easily adopted, I would say, in other regions. For instance, the heat pump and then geothermal wells that could make significant difference in those projects and in those local areas. But also, I would say, process-wise, it's easy to scale and to learn other or not easy, but to share our best practice in process. How we work with carbon. It's not a one-man show. It's a whole organization that needs to go on board. It's a whole organization that needs to understand before starting off. It's all about collaboration and working together. Let's go back to Clay, who speaks with Charlie about different organizations around the world that are committing to zero emissions targets. They also touch on ESG, which you'll hear referenced several times in this episode. ESG means using environmental, social, and governance factors to evaluate companies and countries on how far advanced they are in terms of sustainability. It's a framework for discussing and examining an organization's impact on the planet. Clay, we're seeing more and more for-profit companies and non-profit organizations, some you counsel, commit to these zero emission targets, science-based targets, and, and we and they have to report their data out too. So can you kind of connect some of that? How do we trust this data? Where do you see just even ESG starting to transition? The built environment has really jumped on board the ESG train. 70 real estate organizations and counting have already committed to set science-based targets. Those operational carbon emissions, as people like to refer to them to, are relatively small compared to the emissions in the materials we are purchasing to make our products and services, and significantly less than the energy use of the products we make over their entire lifetime. So carbon accounting is relatively complex. The key things, the advice that I would give is one, just saying I'm going to be carbon zero or net carbon zero by 2050, doing this, issuing a press release and going away and doing nothing and hoping for the best. That's not a plan. And in fact, a plan isn't even a target by a certain date. Organizations really need to develop a detailed plan of exactly what they're going to do, where, who's going to do it, what it's going to cost. Those plans need to be integrated with an organization's capital budgets. It's not going to help if a couple people say, well, we need to do lighting retrofits across all of our facilities. And then the CFO says, that's not in the budget. We can't do that. I think what this is going to drive is a sense of accountability. 
a sense of transparency. We're going to have to report. And short-term goals are much more important than longer-term goals. And by short-term, I'm talking about five years. What's an ambitious goal you're going to meet in five years and report the data every year to show your progress towards that? That's what was missing in COP27. Next year is a big stock take year. How are countries doing on their commitments? Organizations need to do the same thing. And from reports I read, not every company is on track to achieve the even short-term goals they've already committed to. So the industry as a whole has to step it up. Let's talk about the future. What else is getting you excited? If you had a magic wand, is there a certain technology you wish you could just speed up the evolution of and it would help solve this problem? Being a technologist, I'm very tempted to string off a list of technologies, but I'm going to be a contrarian. We have all the technology we need. We don't need new technology to be able to achieve the goals of building decarbonization. Technology can certainly help. At the margins, there's improvements we will see in technology, but that's not the most critical thing. I think the most important thing that can drive us forward isn't technology innovation. It's really a commitment to do better with urgency. We only have seven years in order to get back on a path towards 1.5 degrees. And one of my favorite sayings is, if you find yourself in a hole, stop digging. We all love to talk about these great case studies, but 100 retrofits of existing bad buildings can save more carbon than one of those bright, shiny new buildings. I think the most important thing for us to do is stop building bad buildings, start fixing bad buildings, and make sure that we're raising the floor instead of just focusing on the latest and greatest bright, shiny technologies. They will certainly help, but the most critical thing is for us to tackle those existing buildings. Clay affirms that we have the technology and now it's all about urgency. On that, our next guest is Tony Hans, Vice President of CMTA, an organization with a focus on cost-effective, energy-efficient, and high-performance consulting, engineering, and performance contracting. They have formed a legion of companies that are urgently working together toward a better and more sustainable future. They hope to inspire others to accelerate a clean energy transition. Let's talk about how your company does help these energy efficient projects. I know you've done quite a bit of net zero work. So how does your firm really support some of the overall decarbonization efforts? Everyone right now is trying to figure out how to decarbonize. And what they're really asking is, how can I drastically lower the energy consumption of the building, the carbon usage, and look at how my building has an impact on the other buildings around it. And we've spent years really trying to formulate that better approach to a true zero energy building. We did the first zero energy educational building in the country right about 14 years ago. 
And it was Zero Energy 1.0 at that point. And then we turned around and did a few others. And we turned around and did a few others. And our approach has been taking that normal project with that normal budget and finding out how to drastically lower the consumption and then look at the renewable energy solutions to create a good financial performa where that building can perform, can do both. But the true study on energy consumption across the building and where it goes and how that truly performs and being able to shift the paradigms in the industry to make that happen has been our passion and has really been our success. And so as we learn from that and spread out across all sectors, from healthcare to education to municipal, both higher ed and K-12, and tons of office buildings and police stations, and we've been able to take that approach and dive into the why of the building, what the owner's trying to do in that building, and to be able to first hit that mission, and then at the same time, decarbonize in a way that gets a good financial performa. I'll tell you, Charlie, there is nothing that in my 26 years, there is nothing that has been near as exciting or transformational as the Inflation Reduction Act. What it is going to do, it is going to flip the entire industry on its head in a very short amount of time. This is not only the largest funding source for the built environment, but it's the biggest change and shift in paradigms that I've ever seen. The Inflation Reduction Act is a bill that was recently passed in the U.S. with the aim of lowering the cost of living for Americans. The act includes specific tax credits for those who install energy-efficient equipment like heat pumps, heat pump water heaters and biomass boilers and stoves, among other things, in their own homes. So let's talk about this evolution of a focus on energy. Even set aside just, just carbon and ESG for a minute, that's where it's going to end up. We used to want to save energy at a building to reduce our costs, right? And then it shifted. Now there's mandates on transparency in New York City, uh, the state of California, got to go all electric. There's programs like LEED, which you've worked on, I've worked on that, hey, you've got to do better than energy code. So can you help us a little bit with how have you seen that evolution of a focus on energy? And then how have you maybe had to adapt along the way to where now it is zero net energy buildings and decarbonization studies? Can you fill in some information there and how have you had to adapt to, to go from just cost savings to maybe there's mandates to now look at, again, this legislation? We're seeing this understanding of the environmental social governance and, and the impact it's having on investment and how companies are being viewed. And it's not only hitting the real estate investment world, it's really going strong across what I would call the mush market, right? The municipals, the universities, schools, hospitals are really starting to understand the impact of decarbonization and understanding that they have to look at their total ESG plan. And so this transition to electrification and decarbonization, when you can really make it pencil out as the best first cost solution, but now federal funding to come on top to really help change that financial performa has been massive. So to answer a question on energy and this transition acceleration, everyone is talking about how to electrify, how to decarbonize, and everyone is giving those answers along the technologies and paths that are there. I think that there's behavioral interview. I'm a huge fan of behavioral interviewing. Really asking groups, when giving this challenge in the past, how have you performed? What have you done? And that is the best indicator of performance. 
those challenges that are out there, the technology is available. The technology is here. We just need to switch our processes of how we really define those things and start to move in those directions. Let's talk about even just zoom out a little bit globally. There's an energy crisis in in Europe and and heat waves over there. Of course, you've got taxonomy. You've got the European Green Deal. There's these, thankfully, some federal legislation that's pushing for not just transparency, but here's what you have to do if we're going to get ready to receive these renewables from our grid and and especially not just decarbonize, but pull in as all electric. There's programs like LEED. Are these tools now after 20, 22 years of using a program like LEED? Where does that fit into the conversation today when you're talking to clients? On climate change, on the issues facing our world, on small shifts in the built environment that haven't come in time, code changes that haven't forced drastic performance shifts in the industry, and just all those negative factors really pushing on us. We are at the best time in the history of the built environment, we're at the best time, in my view, that we've ever been at. The rate of change is so much faster and the tools that are out there are so much better. And we're seeing those things. The industry has made this huge shift from design-based solutions to performance-based. And the education to the owner has been much better All the major clients are asking for those groups that can help make a difference, decarbonize, provide healthier, really improve the health and wellness of the inside of the building to help them, help their staff, help their students really improve their work environment. And those tools and the focus on that is much better than it's ever been. The focus on materials and you know what really truly goes you're getting ready to go into an evolution of strong EPDs really good information out there about how things are built and why lead is going to continue to to challenge the market to push us to shift those paradigms into the things that we need to be doing and i think they'll continue to lead in that and it's going to be these performance based components on decarbonization and on material or good material selection Let's just talk about the future. Tony, how do you envision like communities and cities in the future in terms of energy solutions in the built environment? What do you think we'll see more of in the future? We actually think the technology is there. And we think for the first time, cities are changing because owners are shifting. They're more educated and they're shifting their RFP process. They're shifting their procurement strategies. The RFP, or Request for Proposal, is a document which is the first step in the procurement process. It presents and describes a project so that contractors can bid on it. This is where the criteria and requirement for energy efficiency, for example, are set in a project. When done well, it ensures that qualified folks with the same goals as the owners are to work together. As Tony mentions, a positive shift in the RFP process toward higher energy standards in the projects can mean a positive shift in how buildings are being constructed. For us, what we saw was owners just need to ask for it. The technologies are there, the teams are there, but if you tell the AE industry and builder that it's a goal, then they're going to select those partners that can help them reach that goal. And so I think we have to shift our approach to say, how can we pull these partners to the table? Shifting our approach toward building and designing from the very beginning of any project can help to bring like-minded people together from the start. 
let's conclude with Rune, who speaks more on the importance of collaboration and working together. What gets you excited about the future when we look at our communities or cities or buildings, especially around like energy solutions? Like what's the future look like and what do you think we'll see more of? I see that there's a talking about energy smart cities and low energy cities and so on. I think we need to go step by step and start with building by building, but making the building ready for future. Then we can move on to neighborhood scale and finally connect neighborhoods in a city scale. But on the way, we need also to include infrastructure like transport and other energy consuming businesses. I'm hopeful for the future though, there's some parts of the world that has got further than other parts, and we need to open up about technology and concepts and so on, so that everyone don't need to take the whole journey of innovation themselves. So we need to export know-how and technology and so on to other parts of the world, so we can speed up carbon reduction. Well said, that collaboration and a rising tide lifts all boats. Let's say there's a young professional maybe uh, listening to this podcast. They've loved listening to your story. Or maybe it's someone that has a career and they're making a career pivot. What advice do you have to them if they're just now jumping into this, this movement, this sustainability movement? Big question. I would say that be interested in carbon. Learn about carbon. I think energy is important, but carbon is what's killing us. And we need more skilled people within carbon. And carbon is not only for consultants, but we need decision makers, we need estimators, we need leaders that understand the whole carbon issue. Because it's going to be a very important part of our economy in the years to come. So we need to deal with carbon in every decision we make. We need to take a stand on carbon as much as we do on cost and on business. There is a greater need than ever to implement existing technologies in order to create energy-efficient buildings and lower our carbon footprint. Collaboration between major players is a must because when we work together, we can achieve great and sustainable things. As our guests aptly say, sustainable countries begin with sustainable buildings. That's something that we can and should all get behind as we move toward net zero. Thank you for listening. And a special thanks to our guests, Clay Nessler, Tony Hans, and Runa Stenna for joining us. To learn more about the importance of energy efficient buildings and for links to anything mentioned in the show, head to the show notes. If you enjoyed listening, be sure to subscribe and give us a five-star review. And join us every episode as we continue to explore shaping sustainable places. This podcast is brought to you by Skenska. We are a world-leading project development and construction group using knowledge and foresight to shape the way we live. Go to skenska.com to learn more. That's S-K-A-N-S-K-A dot com. Thank you.